0: So hi, Richard, I'm here with you today. You're Richard Grannan.
1: I am, Jackie, thank you very much for having me on.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about your background,
1: please? Um, yes, I, I ended up uh, through a, a, a strange series of events uh, specialising in childhood trauma and particularly emotionally abusive relationships with a particular focus on narcissistic abuse. This wasn't where I intended, on ending up, but it's the way things have gone.
0: <laughs> and I think a lot of us have done that journey where we've just started with one thing and ended up going right back to our childhood, because my personal opinion is that, you know, the first seven years of our life, and I, I know this is borne out a lot with, with science, a lot of research, a lot of psychology, but the first seven years of our life are intrinsic and forming our foundations for the rest mm-hmm. of really and uh yeah it, it creates some dynamics for us that are really difficult to navigate as we get older because of divided loyalties
1: yeah certainly can be they certainly can be
0: brilliant so <laughs> can i ask you then first first question that i really want to launch at you is narcissism and parenting Your mm-hmm. your little specialism so narcissism is it a trait or a disorder
1: um it's it's both so when it's uh, um it's unfortunate because of the the nature of psychology and the way we have to get into language and semantics uh, a narcissistic trait or narcissism as it functions in healthy individuals is is an intrinsic trait you should have narcissism um the freudian psychoanalytic lineage would refer to that as healthy narcissism it's not a term that freud ever used but it was implied that he felt that uh, little children should go through a phase that eventually they pass through and it dies and drops off, that would be called narcissism, where they become very, very self-focused, no regard for other people, they just felt like they were the center of the universe. So we all have that within us, we're supposed to. That's normal and healthy. Then you can have narcissistic traits, which are not so healthy. So you've got healthy narcissism, a phase, then development. And you've got narcissistic traits in adulthood. This is not so healthy. This means little bits and pieces of, of childhood, usually as a result of a trauma, of the fracturing of boundaries, um, are now following into adulthood, and we're behaving like narcissistic toddlers in our adult-to-adult interactions, and that's not great. Right the way through, along that spectrum, we get to narcissistic personality disorder. Full-blown narcissistic personality disorder is still quite rare um, because it it requires quite unique and highly traumatic uh, childhood circumstances to develop fully. It means there's a hard shell that's developed around the authentic vulnerable emotions of the child and of the child in the adult and that all that there is in that hard shell is a, a, a false self which is a projection. So It's a very interesting personality disorder because what it means is you actually end up looking at a person who is not really there. There's only a shifting miasma of their various projections of who they think they need to be to draw their uh, narcissistic supply from the other human beings around them.
0: And you say childhood, I mean, is there anything that you can acquire past, you know, sort of post seven, Coming up into being a young adult, I mean, I know there's not a perfect childhood, there's never a perfect childhood because it's a very subjective test. But if it was, and you acquired something later on, how would that, you know, show up in a young adult? Is that possible too?
1: Excuse me, coughing, <laughs> I, I muted that, right? Um you did. Pete, Pete Walker talks about uh, good enough parenting. So we can have a childhood, where yes, of course, we have humans as parents and they're fallible, they have good days, bad days, moods and whatever else, but it's good enough. There's no fracturing of the child's boundaries. They're allowed to naturally and effectively attach to their primary caregivers, to their parents, and then naturally and organically detach. There are some bumps, there's some turbulence, of course, this is normal, but it's not what we would consider traumatic. It's good enough. How then, if somebody had a good enough childhood, is it possible that they could develop Uh, narcissistic personality disorder later in life. It is, it's very rare, either the circumstances surrounding the person need to be so all consuming that they're reduced back to their childhood state where what they ate, what they saw, what they heard, what they thought was completely controlled night and day for a substantial period of time. Um, To the extent that it then infantilizes the person back to a childhood state then yes, they can develop NPD. There have been studies that suggest that some celebrities develop um, context specific narcissistic personality disorder, which I think is a reasonable proposition, which is that if you rise in fame and celebrity very quickly, if you're a nice, normal giving person beforehand, you might end up becoming not so pleasant. Um, But that is a very all encompassing experience. If you're talking about a list celebrity status, it literally will affect how you eat, how you sleep, how you live and everything else. So yeah, it it can happen later in childhood through that experience, later past childhood. Or you could be looking at somebody who's entered into either a prison or a cult and they're literally facing uh, torture uh, on a daily basis. Again, that reduces us back to an infantile state. If it's prolonged enough and strong enough, the ego boundaries will break under enough pressure and then you can induce a narcissistic personality disorder response. These are theoretical, it's hypothetical. I'm not aware of any proven cases where qualified clinicians have said, yes, this has happened, but it's theoretically possible, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think the the terminology, good enough parenting is something that I use a lot in my legal career, you know, that's a a standard that we, um, the courts certainly adhere to and and to say. So thank you for that. Um, So narcissism. Is it scale? Is it, does it, are there lower ends of it, higher ends of it, how does it work?
1: Well, I mean, it, it, depends, on, it depends on who you're talking to. Um, obviously psychology does its best to be a science. It does suffer from a little bit of medical envy. And so it pretends that these are fixed viruses, fixed bacteria, and of course they're not. There are many different derivations and permutations of that which we call narcissistic personality disorder as there are human beings who can develop it. It's good to remember that this is a reactive, defensive response to post-traumatic stress, to complex post-traumatic stress. When we're talking about CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress, somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, psychopathy, or borderline personality disorder would be in the fight fawn vector. So it's a protective, it's an effort to protect the vulnerable self. Is it a sliding scale? I personally think it is. A lot of people do think it is, and it's useful to think of it in that way. But with the caveat that, in order for narcissistic personality disorder to be true NPD, in my humble opinion, based on what I've seen, there does need to be this kind of, um, this level, this area, this, this horizon that a person goes to in terms of their defensiveness, where they're almost irretrievable because of the false self which is a hard shell inside of which all of the vulnerable emotions and feelings of the individual have simply died when that has occurred in childhood and now you're sitting in front of a 55 year old man or you know a woman who spent her whole adult life functioning on these parameters I personally feel it's naive of the partners of people like this to think that they're gonna get better. And I think it's extremely naive for mental health professionals to think that through conversing with them, they're gonna convince them to change the way they fundamentally operate in the world. So sliding scale, yes, for narcissistic traits, but for NPD, full blown malignant NPD, I would say no, once you've got past a certain point on the sliding scale, there is no coming back.
0: So Richard, um... Can you just run over, what are the signs of narcissism in co-parenting?
1: So do you mean narcissism in the parent that you're co-parenting with, or narcissism in the in the children?
0: Um, I suppose we can address both of those points, really, if you're happy to, so yeah, let's yeah. one at a time.
1: If, you're, if, if a person is co-parenting, and uh, they're worried that what they're dealing with is narcissism, then they would be looking for the major traits. You would be looking for unusually high levels of arrogance, unusually high levels of entitlement, um, a tendency to deny reality in favor of upholding some sort of false image, a big tendency towards superficiality and vanity and what other people think about you, your family, the children, Uh, a lot of focus on the way the children look, but not so much focus on how the children feel. Um, these would be the early warning signs that uh, some degree of narcissism may have crept into that relationship. If you're worrying about it appearing in the children, it's the same thing. Um, these these are Obviously, children under the age of 18 cannot be diagnosed with NPD, but what we're talking about right now is narcissistic traits. Mm. So, an excessive concern with appearance, entitlement, and a sense that I am special and the rules that apply to everybody else just don't apply to me. Um, these would be warning signs for a little bit of narcissism. Grouping of.
0: Okay. That's fabulous. So, um, is it possible to, I know we did look at this a little bit earlier and you alluded to narcissism in children being an, a normal part of their childhood, but is it possible to have a narcissistic child or for a child to develop those narcissistic traits bearing in mind, you've just said MPD isn't diagnosable until they're 18. Yeah. They're
1: um, you know, the most honest way that I can answer this question would be to say, look, there is this overlap between philosophy and psychology. And psychology is very averse to key elements of philosophy, like values and morals. So we do have to start asking the question, when when are we actually just talking about simply immoral behavior, non-clinical immoral behavior? You don't want your children engaging in non-clinical immoral behavior. so. If, if we're asking the question, at what point should the parents start to look at intervening? At what point should they worry? If your kids are being nasty and acting in a way that is not socially acceptable, that's the moment that, that we need to be intervening and, and finding out what's going on.
0: Fabulous. And, and children presumably can respond to their environment in terms of if there's a lot of conflict going on in the home and such like, they can respond to that not necessarily in a narcissistic way but it can just be a behavior trait that shows up
1: it could be i mean kids um are a little bit more of a blank slate in many ways and so they will just copy adults i think that's uh, mm. one of the best rules i've ever learned about parenting and dealing with kids is children copy adults so they'll copy the narcissistic traits even if they've not modeled the roots of where those narcissistic behavior patterns are coming from it's still unpleasant it's still undesirable but it is just aping the behavior. So they've seen that behavior, being dismissive, telling lies, being aggressive, being manipulative to get what you want. And they'll go, Oh, that's how daddy functions in the world. That's how Mummy gets things done. I'll do the same thing. They will model us.
0: So you've got two parents. You've got one parent who's narcissistic or Mm. narcissistic traits. And then you've got another parent who is, let's label it the empath. Um, is it possible to counterbalance the narcissistic tendencies and for that relationship to work and not necessarily impact on the child? And that was a question from one of my ladies.
1: No, no, it's not. For a start, I would say, uh, I defer to Shambachnin's sort of analogy of looking at this. There's no co-parenting with a narcissist, there's counter-parenting. Mm. So you are in a fundamentally combative position. Um, the children, to somebody with NPD, are, are mere pawns in a broader game. The particular game they might be playing right now, at this point in the children's life, and at this point in your relationship, presumably if your co-parenting, counter-parenting relationship that's worn down, everything must be understood to take place along a timeline. And along, if, you're, if the lady or anybody is asking that question, that's because she's in that particular point in the timeline. At this particular point in the timeline, it's highly likely that the person she's counter-parenting with wants to take revenge on her. There'll be vengeful feelings there. And um, we should go into that with eyes open. Um, This is a depressing prognosis, but I'd rather have people feel shock and discomfort at what I'm saying now, and be prepared for what is going to be coming down the pipe than to go in doe-eyed, you know, wide-eyed, and then get all shocked. And be saying to their friends whilst weeping, you'll never believe what he's gone and done now. You'll never believe what she said to little Timmy when I took her out when I took him around the other day. So that you'll know any and all contact is the opportunity to manipulate and to abuse. Any and all contact is the opportunity to manipulate and to abuse. And that's just the way it is. It's a bitter pill to swallow. I can't imagine the distress. That, that I can imagine, but I, I wouldn't want to live it, that it causes knowing somebody that they're handing their children over to somebody who's fundamentally an emotional abuser and that they have to, by law, they're legally obligated to, just because they share DNA. That's the law, that's the way it works. Yeah. So yeah, we really are in, um, we need to get into very pragmatic, very realistic, very protective and self-protective modalities of thought where we start to look at minimising the inevitable damage that will be caused.
0: So one of the things that I focus on in the Powerful Parenting Programme is the way that we communicate with the other parent when conflict arises. The the ability to communicate and the way in which we communicate, we need to be very boundary and we need to be very firm and stick to those boundaries in the future. Would you agree?
1: Yes, I would agree in theory. um, And I would say that You know, it's, I've started this work in 2012. So I've worked for eight years with people who are Mm -hmm. codependent foreign responders who are helplessly addicted and conditioned to their relationships with their narcissistic partners. And so, yes, in theory, we can say be boundary, be professional, minimalize, literally minimalize all contact. So if you have a choice between saying 50 words and five, you say five. If you have a choice between a five minute conversation on the doorstep, and a third second conversation on the doorstep, you choose the 30 second conversation on the doorstep. And whatever it is that allows you to create those circumstances, yes, including telling lies, you do that. So if you oh I have to I would stay in chat um you know at the, the handover point with the with the kids. I would love to stay in chat but I really do. i i just just lie yeah. through your teeth <laughs> to minimize the contact. Um knowing as I do though how susceptible the the partners are to emotional flashbacks and to being sucked back into this drama cycle with Mm -hmm. the abuser i would say to people listen you've really got to get to a brown or black belt level status in your uh, uh, psychology jitsu in terms of managing your own state if that person is in a bad mood and they're out for blood because it makes them feel better they will target you. They don't do it permanently. Typically they drift, they shift, if they can find an easier source of supply, an easier source of drama, they will eventually drift away and do that. But you're gonna have some bad scenes with them. I can't see, if it's true NPD, they're not just gonna let you get on with your life and be peaceful and happy, that provokes them and it makes them feel less important, which creates narcissistic injury, which induces narcissistic rage, and then you will be punished. So you've got to expect that and you've got to be prepared for it.
0: So I suppose that leads me on nicely to a question then now Well, I'm thinking, is it possible to actually ameliorate that within the context of a conversation that you have with the narcissist um, for the child's benefit?
1: It's possible to ameliorate it, but, I can't just give like three steps, you watch Mm -hmm. the video, you walk away and you go do it. My solutions for this, because it's such an invasive attack, our defense needs to be from the ground up and the procedures of defense are invasive. So I would need, typically in in coaching with people, have to challenge their whole moral system. Even their religious worldview, because they might say, well, I'm a Christian I'll always turn the other cheek I'm a Buddhist I'm to be compassionate yeah. I'm a Muslim I must do everything that the man said whatever whatever it is and so I have to get really granular really foundational with people and go look my job is to protect you from abuse and I can't do that if you insist on running patterns of belief that don't serve you and that tell you being a victim of this nasty individual is godlike or holy or what or what the church wants or you can't have that you've got to really look at your your belief system can you ameliorate it yes but you're going to have to do very uh, intense work Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to look at their childhood stuff and i say fine i understand who the the hell wants to go through a procedure that you know is long-winded painful and traumatic but if you do resolve those issues you will be stronger um you've got to learn non-sincere patterns of communication you've got to learn to communicate narcissistically they're not telling you the truth so don't flipping tell them the truth they're not telling you how they authentically feel so don't flipping tell them how you authentically feel about anything never tell them how you really feel about the weather about traffic about any detail of life you abandon all sincere communication you keep your walls high at all all moments you know that when when they do the fighting in the ufc they say defend yourself at all times once those gates have closed and you're in the cage and you're fighting you could be attacked and the attack will be vicious they will try to charm you and make you think that the danger has passed so your defenses come down and then you'll be like oh yeah i forgot how how sweet john could be when he's in the mood of the." and that's and, and as soon as you drop your armor that's when the poison blade goes in. And you'll be looking at psychological and emotional injuries that hurt for months or for years. Why do they do that? Just to express their power and just to express the dominance over you. So you've got to be very, very careful. And a lot of the people watching this who are struggling with it, they really need to change their worldview. Many people online are obsessed with how dangerous narcissists are. They're actually less powerful than you think, but they're probably more dangerous than you think they're less powerful than you think, but they're more mm. dangerous than you think. That's typically what I end up having to tell people who are stuck in these uh, cycles of abuse.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, I've had that personal experience myself with some of my relationships, and I would completely agree with you on that point, you know, because it is hard to manage it. And for me personally, the only way to deal with it was to get away and then manage it thereafter. And, and that did involve me, you know, going through a very painful journey, Yeah. examining, lot of my foundations in my childhood and stripping back a lot of the beliefs and and all the things that we acquire as we get older so you do need to get to grassroots level of how you feel and understand and name the emotions to be able to tame those emotions and then be able to deal with that emotion as it shows up in your life
1: absolutely absolutely so the thing that i never want to do with people is is hand out like self-defense techniques to lambs to use against wolves. If you're a lamb and a wolf comes, it doesn't matter what you know, they'll tell you to shreds. If you can be more wolf-like and less lamb-like, less lamb-like, you have a much better chance of defending yourself from the worst elements of the attack. Um, and so it, it really is about a uh, fundamental change in the belief system of people. If they don't want to continue to be tortured, provoked, and you know, wound up and triggered and all these other things that you can be by these people who've spent their whole lives cultivating the ability to induce emotional reactions in other people. They will beat you in the same way that if you get in the ring with a black belt who's been training for his whole life. There's no course you're going to do inside of two weeks that's going to let you to meet them at their level. You're not as good as them at their thing. so again it's a slightly dire prognostication it 's a bit doom and gloom, but i'd rather people embrace that and go, "Okay, I need to take this seriously and then I think they've really got a better chance of protecting themselves
0: yeah i I mean doom and gloom or reality i like I prefer reality because they're you know if, if anybody's coming to either one of us for this sort of help they're in yeah. that reality they 're stuck there, so that is their reality and it's not nice and and that's where we can shed some light on it i think but Certainly I like your analogy of the narcissist being dangerous and you know, but not as powerful because that's where as yeah. the empath or the, the non-narcissist in a relationship, we can then empower the other person to actually be able to manage and ameliorate that in the future. And, the,
1: and this, is, this is where it's useful to break out of the clinical terminology as well. My narcissistic ex-girlfriend was powerful to me because I loved her. Yeah, She's not that powerful to the shop assistant that she's being rude to because that shop assistant isn't in love with her, she's not sleeping yeah. with her, she doesn't yeah. care. So we've got to, I think it's very human to want to sort of like protect ourselves from the, from the realities of what the situation is. But when you actually just face it head on, you go, oh, okay, that's why. So actually it's me that's providing her with that power in, in some senses. It's yeah. me that's offering up that vulnerable emotion. Ah, okay. Well, the reality is ugly, but as ugly as it is, it actually reempowers me. Because I go, oh, that's me that's doing that. She didn't do it. If yeah. I didn't offer that, she wouldn't have that power. And this is true for everybody who's been in, because um, we're talking about parenting, they're all, these narcissistic relationships are all rooted in love and relationships yeah. and intimacy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I suppose it's, it's feeding the beast, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, one hundred
0: percent. I like that terminology, Richard feeding the beast. <laughs> okay, um, so I suppose my next question then leads on nicely from that. As as the non narcissistic parent, do we ever overcompensate, in your opinion, to counterbalance the narcissism?
1: It it depends on what you mean by overcompensation. If if by overcompensation you mean as the non-narcissistic parent, you feel guilty that you hooked up with some terrible dude that's now causing your kids to suffer, so you start spoiling your kids, then that's definitely happens. I think a hundred percent of the time, mm-hmm. because you are going to feel that guilt, you are going to feel that responsibility, and as codependents, uh, we we do have a, a pronounced. Uh, proclivity towards guilt and shame and responsibility so yeah then you'll be then you'll go into the oh poor them story inside of your head and then you'll be like how can i make this better it's actually a really dangerous game to play and i'll I'll tell your viewers why the correct circumstances for growing a personality with NPD is between a highly abusive distant parent and a guilty parent who spoils the child. So when you have one parent who's feeding a message to the child, you're worthless and you're an object. And the other parent who's feeling guilty says, no, you're wonderful and everything you do is great. That actually can induce NPD. So if you sense anybody watching this, if they sense a drive in themselves to overcompensate for the other parent's bad behavior, really resist that. And remember that children need boundaries and rules more than they need kindness and friendship. They do need kindness. They do need friendship, but a child is a, is, is in a state of chaos. They're still trying to learn how to figure out the world. They need rules and boundaries more. So balance the desire for kindness and friendship with rules and boundaries. If you want your child to grow up a strong, independent individual, put the rules and boundaries in early tell them you can say things like like if you want to overcompensate for the other parents abuse you overcompensate by putting a moral system in and saying mm-hmm. what happened well daddy said this to me well that's not true is it how do you know it's not true oh i i know it's not true because here's the evidence okay is it good to tell the truth yeah it's good to tell the truth is it bad to lie yeah it's bad to lie so did he do something that we can consider bad mm. yeah okay these are that's a moral system that you're putting in there it allows the child to philosophically differentiate and go okay that's my dad that's my mom but sometimes they do things that are immoral so that the ultimate force in the world is not the parents anymore it's the moral philosophical system
0: mm. and i suppose from a child's perspective it's quite hard to differentiate that because one of the one of the big issues that we deal with one of the big issues that comes up perpetually in my legal cases is that the other one parent is denigrating the other parent Mm -hmm. um, you know creating this wedge in between the parental relationship and that comes back down to then allegations of um parental alienation Um, which is a a really difficult one to manage when you're dealing with all of these other dynamics. So you've got to keep it balanced. But ultimately, from from my perspective, I know that a child just needs to feel safe and loved. And, And that's ultimately what you're doing for that child when you are providing that moral background. And I think, even, correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but even narcissistic parents deeply love their children <laughs> That's one for editing Richard. <laughs> I'm
1: gonna leave it in. I'm gonna leave it in. Um, I, I mean if, if if we're talking NPD, uh it no, that there, there isn't if we're talking full blown, you know, the spectrum I mentioned before, all the way through to NPD, unfortunately the evidence that they are capable of love as we would understand it in a warm-blooded mammalian sense is they 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 literally don't have the capacity to see anybody else's outside of them so those children are just objects inside of their internal reality they happen to be objects they have control over you can't love somebody like that that's that's not love that's 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 possession um you may see observing from the outside sentimentality and a sort of a you know, uh, uh, they're simulating what they've observed in other parents. Oh, they're protective. They're very mm. sentimental. They're very proud. If it's truly NPD, all of that is only coming from uh, the position of, 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 narcissism. So yeah, love, unfortunately, if it's full-blown NPD, it's not a thing.
0: It's not going to happen. And in those circumstances, presumably, there is a risk that the relationship is going to break down entirely which is the situation that I'm faced with in in the court proceedings yeah
1: do you mean between the the narcissistic parent and the children yeah oh yeah along a long enough timeline the true NPD will fall out with everybody along a long enough timeline always everyone every time Um, For a lot of reasons, for a lot of reasons, but I mean, fundamentally, it's a maladaptive personality disorder that's self-destructive. And this is one of the things that defines it as being NPD. So it it, it might not happen until the child is in their 30s, depending on how thoroughly brainwashed they are. Um, But yes, at some point they will will fall out with them and it will be dramatic and usually terminal. You you know, typically they'll just never never speak to the parent again or never have the parent in their lives in that way again when they see them as they truly are because they see a monstrous uh, golem like entity
0: yeah yeah i can relate to uh, relate to that a lot too okay in terms of the family dynamics richard assuming we've only got two children in in any parental family unit, you've usually got the golden child and then you've usually got the scapegoated child. What, what are the different dynamics and how does that show up within the relationship?
1: Um, in a narcissistic family unit, yes, typically there'll be a golden child and there'll there'll be a black sheep. The golden child can do no wrong. The black sheep can do no good. Uh, why does this happen? Well, it happens because when the parent has NPD, as I said before, there's no, there's no love of the children as separate to them, they're just parts of them. They're kind of buckets, they're receptacles. They're receptacles and buckets for the self-perception of the narcissist. The narcissist splits that which is bad and doesn't fit with the false self, the fake self-image away from themselves quite naturally in their daily lives and projects it onto other people. I didn't do that, you did that. I don't lie, you tell lies. I don't manipulate, you manipulate. And then all the good stuff they keep for themselves. When they have children, they find they have this opportunity just for the perfect projection mechanisms that have no boundaries, zero ability to say no. So they put all of the bad stuff in themselves into one bucket and all of the fake good stuff of themselves into another bucket. So you have black sheep, golden child. You can do no good no matter what you achieve, how far you go you become a PhD rocket science, you know, brain surgeon, you're still a piece of shit. The other child is a golden child, so they're a drug addict, they crash cars, they, you know, accidentally murder people whilst drunk. Whatever you want, the narcissistic parent will still fawn over them because that's the yeah. best of them in one place and the worst of them, which is not them, it's away from me, it's nothing to do with me, in another place. So uh, yeah, you do see that, that dynamic uh, play out
0: do you find with the with the black sheep child then that that child becomes more challenging and more grounded as that child gets older
1: yeah that 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 child having suffered a, a miserable and torturous childhood will probably become obsessed with psychology and spirituality for the rest of their lives to try and figure out why their, their childhood was so full of misery <laughs> and confusion. yeah they not typically become a codependent unfortunately and they're probably well attached to another narcissistic partner These are the people we call the foreign responders, the codependents, the empaths and so on. They probably were the black sheep of the family. Um, The truth teller, the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat, so on. Uh, The golden child typically will grow up to be very narcissistic if not full blown NPD, but certainly very, very narcissistic because they've received a message in their most formative years that whatever I do is perfect. Yeah, okay, I was drunk and I ran somebody over, but you know, everybody drinks and accidents happen. There, there'll be this yeah. amazingly strong capability to remove oneself from tr- true guilt or true true responsibility and true remorse. So they'll be manipulative, they'll be dismissive, they'll very, very highly likely to discard people who are no longer of use to them later in life.
0: Yeah, and be able to justify and rationalise all of their behaviour. Yeah. Wow, That's quite a big one, isn't
1: it? Uh, it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: And presumably, if, if you go, if you do do the overcompensation, as we were discussing as parents, that is ultimately where we'll end up. That's the yes, uh,
1: you, there is this overlap between the overcompensating and the gotten. And, and if, the, if the overcompensation comes from guilt, comes from a codependent, comes from somebody who has poor internal boundaries, so they feel limitless guilt and limitless shame, so they're pouring limitless kindness and limitless praise onto the child, they could accidentally be creating a a kind of a second generation de facto golden child if you like even though they themselves are not narcissistic and they're not doing it for narcissistic reasons Mm. all of what we're talking about is about a break from reality and splitting reality now you can either split reality internally or you can split reality internally we can have a good parent and a bad parent, or we can have a parent who split the good and bad inside themselves. The end results of the children, unfortunately, uh, looks very, very similar.
0: Wow, okay. So, so Richard, when we're talking about feeling safe and children being made to feel safe, we talk mm. about trauma bonding. Can you give us a little bit more, or give me a little bit more uh, background on trauma bonding and how that starts?
1: So tra- trauma bonding is actually a term that I dug out from cult psychology, and this goes back to uh, 2009 when I was running a self-defense channel, and I was, I was teaching men and women how to defend themselves, and we were discussing domestic abuse, and the Rihanna Chris Brown case came up, where he had, as people know, punched her, bitten her, uh, kicked her, given her very, very severe injuries, and she kept on getting back with him. Mm -hmm. I watched an interview on CNN with a woman who was the representative for one of the largest women's domestic violence uh, groups in the whole of America. And she was asked by the CNN anchor, a very straightforward question, why do women keep going back? And she didn't have an answer. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never really heard a good answer for why anybody would go back. So then I started to do the research and I found the concept of trauma bombing. When somebody enters a cult, they go through a love bombing phase typically. And then in order to bond the person to the cult or to the cult leader, they'll be taken through a series of very intense emotional experiences that infantilize them. How cults figured out how to do this, I do not know because it's very good psychology. Mm. If I simultaneously abuse and rescue somebody, so I'm good and bad, remember the split, the reality split Mm. again, If I'm angel and demon in that person's subjective reality over and over and over again, the intensity of emotions and confusion and the neuroplasticity that that uh, intense trauma induces forms a strong neurological connection between the target and me. And it's not that the neurological connection is, oh, this guy, this human is the source of pleasure and good things. It's just this entity is important when he speaks you listen you need him in your life so i would attain almost like it's a parental role but beyond that a godlike status you know and then people when people's ego boundaries are broken they'd internalize me and they'll be having conversations with the vision of me they have in their head controlling everything they do down to when they can eat if they can eat you know the most intimate procedures Um, And that is how you trauma bond somebody inside of a cult. In normal life with a narcissist, typically they're not just nasty all the time. Sometimes they're nice and sometimes they're not. People complain online a lot about the, the damaging effects of being with a covert narcissist, also called a fragile or vulnerable narcissist, who break the rules of the online narcissism community. They do apologize. They are sad when they've done something wrong. They do actually feel something approximating guilt and remorse. And so we start to think, oh, they're not that bad. Just, they've just got PTSD. Yeah. If I love them enough, they'll heal. I'll just pour more love into them until they get better. <laughs> so that effectively creates a trauma bonding experience. If you're being mean and then nice and then mean and then nice, the target will typically fight to try to induce through fawning, through submission, the nice state more than the mean state. And it puts them in a position that's like an infant with a child.
0: Yeah, I can, I can see that because it, it, it creates this unhealthy level of dependency, doesn't it? And
1: really, yeah.
0: a need, yeah. you know, huge need in you to, to, to make them better, but a huge need in you to need them as well for yes.
1: answers. Unfortunately, that this problem goes beyond narcissism. We actually have mm. a cultural problem, which is yeah. that our our beliefs and our behaviors around uh, sex, sexual intimacy and uh, sexual bonding are a little bit flawed. We are somewhat obsessed with rescuer fantasies.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and we're obsessed with abuser fantasies. And for many of us, we just think that's what love is. And you know, when you start to talk, I can see it when I do seminars with people, I start Mm -hmm. to say, you want to be in a happy, loving relationship and they go, oh yes. And I said, well, let's have a good long talk about safe attachment with another adult. And I can see their eyes glaze over because it's not sexy, it's not interesting. So I'm like, ah, so we know that you expect drama, pain, uh, adrenaline in the bonding process. Okay, well, I can provide you with people who are always going to offer you that they're called narcissists and it's never yeah. a dull fucking moment nobody's ever said life with a narcissist <laughs> the doll. Uh, it's just that it's intolerably painful so yeah there are there are broader problems around that issue.
0: give me the doll give me i crave the doll in the 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 <laughs> I'm done with the drama. So done. Um, and yeah, I, I see that because within, you know, I, I mean, our childhoods, all the Disney, the, the, the classic Disney films, you know, all of them are, are just crammed full of all this cultural and societal conditioning, aren't they?
1: Yes. And there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Ooh. There's a lot of, I think, a desire to um turn people to to turn people inside out a little bit mm. because if you're running things and you have a population to manage it's better if you have people who just want to go to work and come home and watch tv than you if you have a, a nation of people who are asking difficult questions who yeah. are self-realized who've achieved their potential so it's better to train them to think look the peak of life is you get with another person you have sex and then you replicate Oh, and the angelic choir music from Disney comes over. Oh, and you just think that's that's infantile. I mean, that's really infantile. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people get get so stuck and they're so anxious and depressed. Because just forget narcissism. If you bring that amount of loading of expectation to another human being, you're guaranteed disappointment. Why? Because the person you're loading your whole life streams on is just a flipping idiot like you in socks yep. who gets headaches, gets confused, forgets what day of the week it is. They can't offer you an all-in-one package that yeah. resolves all the issues of your life. No no other human can.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would agree with that entirely. Um, here's quite an interesting one. Does a narcissist ever recognise their own behaviour?
1: Sure, sure, many. Uh, there was a, a new test for narcissism I I want to say it was the university of Minnesota. Uh, it's only four or five years old and the new test for narcissism was to, and it's the most effective, quickest test there is, is to walk up to, what they did was they walked up to students who didn't know about NPD. They described five traits of narcissism. And then they said to them, would you agree with that? This is, that this is you or not? And they just said, yeah, if you have NPD, the, there's, it, and it's classic, overt NPD. There's no reason for you to hide. There's no reason for you to hide from that. And just go, yeah, that's, that's who I am. So, yeah, many, many narcissists do uh, fundamentally recognise that what they're doing is odd or amoral or immoral. Um, Sam Vaknin is, is, a, is a good example of that. He knows exactly what he's doing. Um, but according to him, he, can't, he, he also struggles to control it. Mm. struggles to control their desire to do that so yeah a lot of a lot of narcissists know that what they're doing is, is wrong
0: i suppose that's where the term covert comes from because they get clever at managing rationalizing and
1: just well, co- co- covert covert can be a strategy so all narcissists use strategies that are covert which means covered um i i prefer to use mm. fragile or vulnerable um, mm-hmm. It's it, it's the same thing, but yeah. when people hear covert narcissists, they'll go, oh, covert strategies. But if you're fragile or vulnerable, what that means is you have the grandiosity, but you're ashamed of it. So you have these grandiose fantasies of who you are, but then when you're faced with them, you go, "Ooh, who the hell do I? So there's, there's self-doubt. So they cycle through peaks of grandiosity and then these terrible troughs of self-doubt. So they do get authentically depressed. You will see authentic depression in them but they're not depressed for the reasons that normal human beings are. They're not depressed because life didn't work out or they're grieving or they're sad. They're depressed because they can't dominate the entire world the way they wish that they could. So they're actually failed narcissists or failing. Sometimes they win, sometimes they fail.
0: Wow. That's an yeah. interesting concept. <laughs> I've <haven't laughs> it like that before. So Richard, I think that's all the questions that I have for you. Thank you so much for taking the time with me today. I'm really, really grateful, really pleased.
1: No problem at all, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers.